Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Um, I don't know if you're aware of it, but there are these, there's this internet phenomenon, especially on YouTube, called bad lip reading. Anybody familiar with? Okay. Let me, if you're not familiar with it, uh, let me try to give you some context within which to hear it. This is uh, something that actually destroys context, um, bad lip reading does. They actually are taking footage, and someone sits in a studio, and they have this video footage, and they're just trying to do the lip reading, and they fill these people's mouths with words that don't actually belong there, and it is hysterical. All right, And they do all kinds of things for movies and TV shows and the NFL. And this is the one I want to show you. Are we ready to go with it, Chris? I want to show you this one uh, now. I think I do. We good? How you feeling? Uh, egg roll. I wish I had a breeze running down my leg. I'd kill for a cookie. Stingray, a double-sided Scooby snack. Yeah, we pick our hotel. Help me burn that old man. I can't, yes, dude. Yes, you can. Let's freaking burn that guy. Hit him on the eyeball. Hey, don't offend me. Can I have this sloth? A skunk. I, mean, I can't believe there's a manhole and he fell in it. I want it now. I want cake now. I, I want it now. I found Fido. Hey, I found Fido. I found Fido, you guys. Stank. Ham bone. Hmm? Yeah, I'd love to get you a Mai Tai. Yeah, come on, I'll make it myself. Um, Is that a bother? What's wrong with him? Ooh, I'm white. Stop doing heroin. I dare you to spit in that guy's drink. I went out with a girl this weekend. We just kept having a ball. Then I come over to hang out after the game, and it's just, the floor's just beanbags. So that's when I'm a jerk to her because I'm all, you can pick up all your floor bags. You ain't living in Southeast Asia. You gotta make a 45 degree like this. Use froggy voice when you ate old fruit salad. Mm-hmm. I encompass and I eclipse. Yeah. Got the hiccups. The vet said, dude, he said, your cat's just pregnant. I said, okay, so I won't go and kick her. You took three chomps and then threw your hot dog up over here. I got 13 steaks over here. Dude, I'll have your money. You better. And then you could buy a pregnant cow. And I showed you that girl's pictures, right? Look, I brought you a potion, and it's gonna work great because it'll make you run. And you brought your potion, right? You're dead to me. I'd fight for this man. He's got a frisbee. You got an orange peanut? Yeah. An orange peanut? Mm-hmm. For me? That's right. Oh, wow. An orange peanut? Well, I accept you. Finger time. I made some chicken rolls. Get me a fur at the fancy pawn shop and get a beard. <laughs> so I, you get the impression, some of you enjoyed that immensely, and some of you are like, I don't know what we're doing in church. I don't know, I don't. You get the impression at times when you read through the narrative of Scripture, you get the impression, especially when you get to the parts where Jesus shows up and he walks into the temple grounds where he is, and he has been for a couple of weeks now, you get the impression that Jesus is accusing the other folks of putting words in, in God's mouth. 
you get the impression that Jesus says, you all are making God say things and think things and do things. You're doing bad theology. You're making God say things that God really doesn't want to say. And Jesus stands up and he says, and I am the correction to the bad theology that you all are doing, chief priests and elders. I am the correction to the bad theology you are doing. Jesus does this a lot, actually, in the book of Matthew. He tries to correct the bad religious thinking. And you can hear it maybe most specifically in the Beatitudes or in the Sermon on the Mount, let's say, when Jesus says something like this, and he says it a lot, you have heard that it was said, but I say, man, maybe you don't experience it where you're sitting, but you need to know that those are not only fighting words, depending on who's listening, but those are huge, universe-shaping sorts of words. When the Son of God says, you have been saying this and thinking this about God, but I say, and whatever Christ says in that moment is what we're supposed to follow and all God's people said. Are you sure? I may have baited you into that one. Are you sure? Do we believe that Jesus is the most accurate reflection of who God is. Is Jesus the God we are following? If so, then we need to listen as Jesus corrects the thinking, the theology, the words that some of the other people have used. If you have your Bible, turn with me to actually Matthew 21. This would have been last week's passage of scripture. Uh, As you know, I wasn't able to preach Last week, I enjoyed having the missionary here, but I always miss getting the opportunity to preach. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop information about the Gospel of Matthew. It was not written, let's say, in what they would have considered real time. It was written a long time after the fact. In fact, it was written after a cataclysmic event. A terrible, terrible thing happened. For some reason... Rome decided that Judaism was a problem. There was a rebellion. You remember this guy was one of the uh, the disciples, Simon the Zealot. The Zealots believed that they could overthrow Rome. The Zealots believed that God would fight on their side. The Zealots believed that they could win some sort of a military struggle with whoever it was that would come against God's people. And so they were always willing to take up arms, like literally, and fight. Well, Rome had had enough of that. And so somewhere around 70 AD, Rome comes in and they absolutely destroy the temple. Not one stone was left on another. And they murder the entire priesthood. In other words, Rome said, enough is enough. The people of God suffer that wound. And the Gospel of Matthew is one of several books that are written to answer these kinds of questions. What happened... How do we get into that mess? How do we get into that predicament? And perhaps most importantly, what do we do now? Have we learned for what happened? What do we do now to preserve and carry on this particular story that we know has enfolded all of us, enfolded all of us? So the book of Matthew, this is really important. I don't think you can understand Matthew unless you understand. It's written after the fact. And it's written to address these very important questions that the people of God are asking. What do we do now? So last week, it would have been this parable about this landowner who owned a vineyard, set it up, leased it out, and he sent his servants to go collect the rent, collect the, the produce, the payment. 
And rather than collecting the produce, the people who had leased or had rented the land were ugly to those servants and beat them up and beat them up and finally killed them. And so the landowner finally says, okay, they have beaten up that my servants and my slaves and they've killed my slaves, but I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son. Surely they will deal better with my son. Verse 38 in chapter 21. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, oh, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, now Jesus is asking this question of the chief priests and the elders, the people who are running the temple, who are running religion in so many different ways. Jesus is testing them. Jesus is baiting them, everyone. He asks them this very important question. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do? Perhaps what should he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Their response to Jesus, when Jesus put up this parable in front of them, when he set up this circumstance, when he asked them, how should the vineyard owner respond to the violence committed by these renters? Their response was, well, he should do violence to them, only worse. Amen. In order to hear our parable for today, and I'm not going to spend much time on it, I really am not, you have to know that the chief priests and the elders, hear me, gave the wrong answer. Yeah, I know, I know. This is another little sermon I could end up getting in trouble and I'm gonna get two or three letters. It's okay. You need to know, when Jesus set them up and asked this question, how should the vineyard owner, representing God in this moment, how should the vineyard owner respond to the violence done to the vineyard owner's son? The chief priest and the elders said, I tell you what, we'll fight fire with fire, we'll win. And Jesus said, wrong. That's not how we fight. Man, Christians are still, to this day, Christians are disappointed in this particular image that I like to preach all the time as it has to do with our Savior. Our Savior is not supposed to be symbolized by the lion, but by the what? The slaughtered lamb. Y'all, slaughtered lamb. That's how we fight. That's how we win. those amens are not quite as guttural as the others. How do you like your God? How do you you like your God? How have you remade God here recently? Oh, I know, I know, I know. We say it all the time that God wants to remake us in God's image, but really it's quite a bit more fun for us to remake God in our image. How do you like your God? We, we do this a lot around here too. We show pictures of burly Jesus, right? Burly Jesus reduces a cross to splinters. That's not how it happened actually. How do you like your God? Do you like your God hating who you hate? Do you like your God who shares your particular opinions about anything, really anything? Is that how you've remade your God? Is it possible that you have made your God in your own image? Chief priests and the elders did. When asked this very important question having to do 
And now they could look back. Remember, this is written so far after the fact. This was after the death and the resurrection. This is after the destruction of the temple, the murder of the priesthood. This is after all of that. Now they're writing this gospel and saying, listen, Jesus knew what Jesus was talking about, y'all. We tried to respond in violence to the violence done to us. How did that work out? How did Jesus respond to the violence done to him? Take a look. Uh, Next slide. In response to their answer, answer that we're going to fight violence with violence, Jesus, I'm sure, exasperated, said this to them. Have you never read in the scriptures? <laughs> the stone that the builders rejected, and they were in the process of rejecting that stone at that moment. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing And it is amazing in our eyes. Hmm. Looking back, they remember these words. They remember how it was that this Jesus fought the violence. This Jesus fought the violence by succumbing to it, by exhausting its power and then by overcoming sin and death with love and hope and light and resurrection. And we just sang it today, the resurrected one is resurrecting me if you'll allow it to happen. If you're not too busy remaking God in your own image, then perhaps resurrection power could be yours if you allow yourself to be remade in God's image. But you may have to lay some weapons down in order for that to happen. I don't know, John, I like my God burly. I like my God big. I like my God to be the biggest bully on the block. Okay. All right. Then the slaughtered lamb must really be a challenge to your imagination. Not just about how Jesus is, and not just about how that reflects how God is and does, but how that reflects how you and I are supposed to be today and tomorrow at work. People wander away from faith. Have you ever noticed this? There's all kinds of studies. I can find you a dozen studies. Why are people wandering away from faith? Maybe the answer is better dry ice machines. Maybe the answer is better videos. And we had a phenomenal video today. Amen. Maybe the answer is all kinds of whistles and bells. Maybe that's the answer. No, no. I think at the end of the day, people are wandering away from faith because too often they see Christians remaking God in their own image as opposed to God remaking Christians in God's own image. That's a compelling faith. Now, it's hard, but it's compelling. But it's hard, but it's compelling. This parable is another way that Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say. I'm actually going to go way fast through this and get to the end. This is about another king who throws a wedding feast for his son, but rather than understanding this as God, this is God, this is Jesus actually here mocking what the Roman kings and maybe the Herodian kings are like, always looking for a political win, always looking for a political victory. Verse 
Man, the scribes and the elders were constantly trying to remake God into a warrior God that would finally be big enough and strong enough to overcome Rome, to overcome the Herodian dynasty. And listen, those kings, those Herods, one at Christ's birth and one at Christ's death, they were bad, bad news, bad business, bad for faith. Yeah, but the way we get from here to there to win the ultimate victory, and by the way, we're all still here, we're still singing the songs. We didn't get there by winning a war. We got there. Hear me. We're here because of the leadership of the slaughtered lamb. I'm going to skip ahead. Uh, Chris, move me to the slide, or is that you, Brianna? Hey, good to see you up there. Uh, move me to the Jeremiah 29:11 slide. I have the great honor of having folks in the room with whom I traveled and sang for years uh, with the Collegian Quartet back in the 1950s. And when we got back, <laughs> Amen. And we would go and we would travel and sing. We would go to camps and all that kind of stuff, and and we would uh, find folks who are interested in the college, and we would gather up all these contacts, uh, names and addresses and stuff, and we would come back, and man, we spent a lot of time writing notes, handwritten notes, handwritten notes, handwritten notes. It's good practice, handwritten notes. I liked to punctuate all of my handwritten notes with the sort of, uh, the perfect verse. Look at this. For someone considering college, amen. Surely I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not your harm to give you future with hope. Man, you ever heard that verse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never. We hear it most often in the NIV. So I'm going to kind of speak it in the NIV because maybe that will resonate with you. For I know the plans I, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Whew, that sounds good. Here is the thing, though. When I went to school and actually paid attention to my classes and then got a graduate degree, I recognized how much damage I'd done to that verse by not recognizing its context. And when I didn't recognize its context, not only was I hurting that passage of Scripture, but my own capacity to not only do faith, but teach faith. Because, you guys, this is the verse that God gives to the people of God after they are stuck in exile. They are being punished for being bad believers. They're in exile. Now, what they're saying, there are other prophets in their ear. They've been ripped out of their homes and sent to exile, and there are other prophets in their ear saying, don't worry about it. Our God is a warrior God, and pretty soon he's going to just topple all of these other leaders and send us back home because our God's got the biggest biceps. That is not what the Bible says. I'm just going to read it to you. This is chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after came Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leader of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. This is just all tragedy, all tragedy all the time. God writes them this note. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Might as well build houses. You're in exile, I know. Might as well build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Far from saying to them, hey, it's gonna be fine. I'm gonna wipe away all of your problems. I'm gonna rip you out of there and bring you back from exile. Far from saying I'm gonna topple the rulers over there, God says to people who are suffering exile and experiencing punishment, God says you better get comfortable. Mm -hmm. Faith in this moment is not you taking up arms to topple your enemy. It is praying for your enemy. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let those other prophets and diviners who are among you to deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. Essentially, those other prophets were saying to them, don't even unpack. God will come and do what God's going to do right now. God says, "Uh, that's really terrible lip reading. Here's how you will go about, hear this, y'all. This is what you'll take home. Here's how you will go about being people of faith in your context, no matter whether it feels like exile or not. Sometimes it must feel like exile for some of us. No matter where you are, here's what it means to be Christian these days, okay? It is not that somehow we will amass the strength to finally overcome with brute force our enemies. It will be that we serve and love and pray for our enemies, And that's how things change. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise after 70 years and bring you back to this place, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. I think there are times when God says to God's self, I wish they had as much energy to serve their enemies as they seem to find to fight their enemies. I'm going to say it over here because maybe you do better than they do. (laughs) I believe that God says about us who are supposed to be reflection of the heart of God. We're supposed to be the tangible presence of God in the world. I believe there are times when God paces in frustration. You ever been that person? He says, I wish the people meeting in houses that bear my name didn't do such bad lip reading. I wish... They were less warlike and more Christ-like. Violence in word, thought, or deed begets violence 
in word, thought, or deed. But love in word, thought, or deed begets love in word, thought, or deed. What kind of church are we going to raise Ezra in? What kind of church? Ezra's going to have some tough days. Some days they're going to feel a whole lot like exile, right? Ezra, as a person of faith, is going to come up against opposition. How are we going to teach and shape Ezra to interact with opposition, with his enemies and his opposites? Ezra, better be doing some push-ups, boy. Better figure out how to use those weapons. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? How are we going to shape Ezra to be Christian? His question is, will we shape Ezra to be warlike or Christ-like? I vote Christ-like. But I'll need your help. And we'll need regular, tangible reminders that we're the Christ-like people and not the warlike people. And that's what we get here. If you're helping us, would you come to the table to set this table to prepare us? John, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm saying we ought to be Christ-like. Now you can kind of take it from there. I am saying that the greatest resource that we can unleash on the planet is nourished, that imagination is nourished here as we take into our hands the tangible reminders of suffering love, right? These are tangible reminders of suffering love if you're paying attention. You don't come down here and grip weapons. What do you get? Broken body and shed blood. You're being rehearsed in a particular posture here. And you need to know that. You're being rehearsed in a particular posture here. As we do this week after week after week, it is starting to make a difference in how you go about Monday. You need to know that you're being rehearsed in the posture of Christ-likeness as opposed to the posture of war-likeness. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and with them, strengthen us to be people who can fight as we see Christ fighting. Fill and fund our imaginations. Show us how we might be more and more Christ-like and less and less warlike. Bring to mind right now those who would fit the category of enemy and opposite and evacuate our minds of all the plans and the strategies that we might construct to topple our enemies and our opposites and replace them, God, with thoughts and hopes and dreams and plans, your imagination, to see how it is that we might love our enemies and our opposites. Father, I'm not up to it. Father, we're not up to it. We'll need your strength that you make available to us today. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive that which is only given as a gift. Now, by the way, you don't have to participate. You're invited to participate, but no one is compelled 
to take part. If you do participate, you will come forward to someone holding a plate of bread. That person holding that plate of bread will snap a piece off and press it into your hand and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but take that little piece of bread and dip it into the cup. When you do, the person holding the cup will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat, and then, and then, I would ask that you would find a place to pray. Now you can circle all the way back around and, play, and pray right there where you're seated if you'd like. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are here for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there and pray a powerful prayer for healing and anoint you with oil, symbolic of the sticky companionship of the Spirit. If you come to one of these front kneelers benches, mourners benches, then we will assume nothing. But at some point, somebody will come by and touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder, just so you know that you're not alone just so you know that you're not alone. There's a bowl of water here. We haven't been doing this for that long. This is a bowl of water meant to jar your memory of your baptism. If you've forgotten where you belong, if you're amongst the baptized, and if you're not, talk to me. We'd love for you to be amongst the baptized. But if you need to remember that you're part of a very odd group of people who live in unique ways in this world, if you have forgotten but you need the reminder, there's a tangible reminder for you here. Just dip your fingers and remember. If you can't come to us, but you would like to participate, Jason and Katie will find their way to you. Who is eligible to partake today? All who understand their need for grace. You don't have to have this thing figured out. You have to know that you're in need of grace. That's all it takes to qualify you for this table. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on after dinner, he took the cup, he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. Remember the fighting posture of our Savior today in broken body and shed blood. And be strengthened and renewed and encouraged. All who would participate, if you would, across the sanctuary, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left. Come forward with your hands cupped. The gifts of God for the people of God.
have blessed us all so we bless all thank you for Christ and cross through us till the someone here praying it is entirely appropriate for you to come and just be a presence and support would ask you to do that if you would make sure that somebody knows pastor I don't know what words to say not sure if we need words we need presence so if you'll just come and be with someone here at the altar that would be great I'm going to pray a brief prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason for prayers of petition who will then 
close us out from there. Dear Heavenly Father, we recognize that we have it in us. We have it in us to want to fight with the tools of our enemies and our opposites. We know, Lord, that we have it in us, this tendency to remake you in our own image, to somehow press you into these boxes where you like what we like, you hate what we hate. We confess, Lord, that we shouldn't do that. (laughs) We confess, Lord, frightening as it may be, that we're all better off if we will allow you to remake us in your own image. God, remind us again of the image that's so powerful, the book of Revelation. Remind us again of all that we should be learning from this image, that of the slaughtered lamb, the always being slaughtered lamb, that for some reason is put up before us as the image of Christ. God, what is it that we should be learning as we behold that particular image? How should it be shaping us? How should it shape our Mondays and our Tuesdays? How should it shape how we interact with our family, our close friends, our enemies, and our opposites? not sure, Lord. We're not sure how it should be shaping us and forming us, but we are sure that it should be. And so, God, help us to loosen the grip that we have of control over our own lives and give us the capacity to lean into and rest in your grace, even if it means that we are changed and renewed in your image. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. Church, would you join me in prayer for a few of those in our midst who need a specific healing touch from God? I just got done serving communion and giving Trudy Caprero a big hug. Church, would you surround Trudy with your prayers and the loss of her sweet and wonderful and faithful husband, Lynn? Even though we celebrated yesterday his life in a memorial service here and celebrated that final healing of his life, Church, would you pray for Trudy as she misses him so desperately? Would you lift her to God? Church, would you pray for our friend Debbie McKenzie as she undergoes some new cancer treatment? It's just exhausting her body. Would you lift Debbie McKenzie up in prayer? Church, would you lift up LaDonna Bennett who this week is going down to Houston to a hospital to see about other treatment for cancer that is in her brain? Would you lift up Debbie and LaDonna? Lord, there are families here today. We want to take the chance to pray for the Larty family and the Sanders family as Joe is still missing. 
as they've gathered here to worship and to be together with the church family. Would you surround them with your loving presence? God, we ask you would continue the search for Joe in his life. There's other families that have gone through ordeals this week that are hard to comprehend or imagine. Would you surround families in deep need of your loving presence and sweet embrace? Perhaps you've carried into this place a burden that you can't quite understand how God will help you. Even in these moments, would you pray for a burden that you've carried, that God might come to you and be present and loving, bring a sense of relief from that which is overwhelming you. Now we pray to the God who we ask and hope might shape and form us into being his people that look like the always slaughtered lamb of God. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and we will pray this morning using debts and debtors. And if you're unfamiliar with this prayer, it'll be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray this Lord's prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.